Pastor Corey here with Heights Church. Thank you for listening to our sermon podcast. If you would like more information about Heights Church, simply go to weareheights.org or follow us on our Facebook page. If you're looking to get plugged into a church, feel free to reach out to us via our website by simply clicking contact, and we will help you find a similar church in your area. Hope the podcast serves you well, and thanks for tuning in. Maybe seated. I'm gonna have Joey stay up here just for a second. Uh, so exciting thing is happening tomorrow. Tomorrow, our student ministry leaves to go to camp for the first time ever in the history of our church, which is really, really cool. I'm excited because that means I don't have two kids at home all week. <laughs> just joking. Love you guys. Um, but man, it's gonna. Uh, I'm just. I'm excited to see what God does in this camp. It's an amazing camp. Um, a lot of guys who have been through here to preach before, like a Mike Bird, Paul Fernandes, they're going to be speakers at this camp in the next couple of weeks going on. Uh, I don't know which ones are speaking in the next few days at the week that our, our church will be there, but I'm excited for it. Um, and so if you're going to the camp as a leader or as a student, I'm going to ask you guys to stand real quick, um, and we're going to pray over you guys um, and what's, what God's going to do this week and that the leaders have some supernatural patience from the Holy Spirit for, for y'all. So let me pray. You guys join me in praying. God, I thank you for the leaders who have stood that are, that are sacrificing their time this week starting tomorrow. God, I pray that you do give them patience. Um, not patience because of any silly reason, but God, that you give them patience to just be there and to be present, to hear what's on these students' minds and their hearts, to be able to help connect them to the family of God, whether they are already a believer or, or yet to be a believer, God. They still need connected to you. And so, God, I pray that you give the, the leaders standing, God, the, the words and the wisdom and just insight to your will so that they can speak truth to these students. God, I pray for these students, that God, that they will um, hear from you, that their relationship with you will be deepened, that they will, their love for you will be deepened, and God, maybe you will, if there's any of them going, do not know you as their Lord and Savior, God, I pray that you save them, um, and I pray those that are going, God, you'll make very clear to them your will for their life, um, even at a young age, God, that you'll set their course and they will stay to it. Um, God, I pray for safety of all that are going um, from our church and from other churches, and God, that you'll just be present and work in their lives. And praise in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, guys. All right, so like Joey just read, we're in Revelation 5. We basically sung Revelation 5 with um, Is He Worthy? Um, I love that song. It's good. I don't really have some catchy illustration or anything to grab your attention to kick this off. The reality is this, is that Revelation 1 through 5 is setting the stage for the rest of Revelation. It has been building to this point. John gets taken up into heaven. He starts seeing these imagery of everything. He's seeing Jesus. He falls as if he's dead. Then there's the seven churches, and Jesus is warning these churches, like, hey, either get your stuff straight or I'm going to remove your lampstand. Some are getting uh, told, that a boy, you're doing great. You don't really have anything. And some are told, you're worthless. And so it's a warning, like, there's some stuff getting ready to come. If you don't get your stuff straightened out, get your house in order, I'm going to come like a thief in the night, and you're not going to know when, and I'm going to remove your lampstand. It's not a good place to be. 
And then last week, we get a glimpse into the throne room of heaven. We see people worshiping Jesus, worshiping God, the Father, like worshiping like no thing that we could ever imagine here. And it's a, it's a picture and, and just a peek in a new creation because there's the sea is like glass. It is like crystal. And God is there. He is present with his people, and he's being worshiped by the elders, which we talked about last week, and by angels. And it is... Good. It is a good thing. And so then when we get to this week here, we come across this scroll. And we'll get into what's in the scroll and the seven seals next week. But this week, what I'm hoping for, my goal is this, is that you will see five reasons to be so encouraged by this text. That you can leave here today and you're encouraged by what you've heard. You're encouraged as you go out through the rest of your days this week. Because if you look back at this past week, it was absolute chaos in our culture. And so I'm hoping that this will give you just an encouragement that chaos is not the final word, that Jesus has the final word. So the first thing I'm going to show you to encourage you is this, that God holds the destiny of the universe in his right hand. So it's interesting because if you're tracking through Revelation, you've got to pay very, very close attention. Like, who is talking? Is it God the Father? Is it God the Son? Because, like, in Revelation 1, it's like, he says, I'm the first and the last. So you're like, okay, well, that could be God. That's God. And the Trinity, yes. But, like, then he says, I was dead and now I'm alive. So that's obviously Jesus speaking. And then in Revelation 4, you, you've got, you know, talking about being on the throne. And it's like, okay, well, who's on the throne? Here is very clear in chapter 5, this is God the Father on the throne. Okay, so God the Father is there. And that is what John sees. He sees John, he, John sees the Father sitting on the throne with a scroll in his right hand. He is seated, that which shows victory. It shows that he is in charge. It shows that he is, when you, a king has sat down, it is saying, it is finished. I have got this. It's done. Well, as he sits down, what that is telling us is that he is now ready for the next thing. And it's sealed perfectly. This scroll is sealed perfectly. Because why? How do we know that? It has seven seals on it. If you've been tracking with us for the past few weeks, the numbers are super important through Revelation. It's very important through the whole Bible. But here, what we can see is that the seal is seven seals, seeing it's perfectly sealed. There is no one who can open this. There's no one who can look into it. We see that with this text. But what is in the scroll? Well, what is in the scroll is everything that is to come. Basically, what is in the scroll is Revelation 6 through 22. It is everything that is getting ready now to happen for the consummation of the destiny of all creation is in that scroll. And that should give you complete peace and comfort knowing that a sovereign God holds the destiny to all of history in his right hand, and he's only going to let go of it to his son. That's it. That in itself should just give us complete peace, that the whole history of creation, the whole future of creation, rests in the sovereign hand of our God. It doesn't rest in the hand of Biden, not of Putin, not of Kim Jong-un, not of anyone else. You name the ruler, it does not rest in their hand. They can go and they can make all the policies and decisions and things that they want to do, good or bad. And at the end of the day, the destiny for all of creation rests in the hands of this God that this book tells us about. That's it. 
That's the final word. That should give you peace. I even joked in the first service, like Elon Musk, the destiny of the world does not rest in him. He might fix Twitter, but he will not fix everything else. Like this is about God. He will restore all of creation. He's going to bring it back to what his original creation was. He has a definite plan for history. It's been moving to that point this whole time. Ever since creation and sin entered, he had a plan that Jesus was going to come. The seed of a woman would crush the serpent's head. He knew from that moment, like, this is going to happen. This is how it's going to play out. There's not going to be anything that's going to get in my way. Nothing and no one can stop what he has because it's in his sovereign hand. He holds the future of all creation right there. So I want you to like really take a, just a, a thought of like how in control he is. Look at the last verse of chapter 4, verse 11. It says, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. Not a speck of dust, not a drop of rain, not a caterpillar, not a roly-poly, not a squirrel, not a chipmunk. Nothing exists apart from him. And it all will be restored perfectly in him. And how it's going to happen sits in his right hand. So think about it. All the chaos that you could experience, all the hardships, all the things you see on the news and social media, none of it is going to stop or change the direction of God's plan for his creation. He alone is sovereign over all things. And what that also gives, this gives me encouragement. I hope it gives you encouragement. It means he's also sovereign over my salvation and your salvation. That, that is good news. That is very good news for us because if you're like me in your flesh, you look at the chaos in this world, you look at the chaos maybe in your own life or in other people's lives, and there's something in you, and this is me speaking, so maybe you're a much calmer person than me, um, you, get, you get frustrated. You get super frustrated, and then there's these tendencies that you want to act in your flesh, Right? Some of you, maybe, no. Some of you are quiet. Some of you are shaking your head, yes. But here's the deal. Even in our worst moments, we are still held in the right hand of this God. When we're, when we're having stress and anxiety over things that we shouldn't be stressing and having anxiety over because Scripture tells us not to. When we're anger and our anger has went from a righteous anger to a sinful anger. When we're just ready to just freak out because we don't know what's going to happen next, this God still has us in his right hand because he saved us. We did nothing to save ourselves. You want to know what part you played in your salvation? The part of sinning that caused you to need to be saved. That's it. That's all you did. You caused yourself to need to be saved, and then he saved you. That gives me confidence. That gives me complete confidence that I can look at my life and say, okay, nothing will stop the will of God. He is holding all of the history of his creation in his right hand, and he's in control of it all, and I can just rest in that. But here's the reality. When you look at this text, he says that he saw no one. He said, 
Who can open it? Who's worthy? No one in heaven and on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or even look into it. So he began to weep. The fact that he is sovereign and there's a scroll that needs open leaves us in quite the predicament because we have no power over the destiny of creation and there is a sin problem and we can't fix it. But it leads us to our next truth that gives us complete confidence and should encourage you. Apart from Jesus Christ, there is no hope. Now, we all know sitting in this room that there is a Jesus who gives us a great hope, but without him, there is no hope. Verse three, it says, and no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. There's no one apart from Jesus that can come and take the scroll from the father. No one. The problem with this is, is that what we do is we don't just look at this as the future. Let me me rephrase this. We have, honestly, I would think that most of you in this room are watching online, you would agree with me. Yes, no one is worthy to come and take the scroll from the Father and then go and to open it and to let all of the future of history play out. Most of us in this room be like, yeah, I'm on board with that. But the problem is, is where we don't find hope in Jesus is that when we have problems arise in our lives, we don't act like he's worthy to come up and take that problem from us. We clinch it in our right hand like, no, I got this. Jesus is my backup plan. He's my plan B. If things don't work out the way I want to do it, then I'm going to pray. Or I'm just going to pray a little bit and see if he can dabble in it, but I've really got it over here. I'm in control. There is no hope in that. You will fail. I called it in my notes a duct tape fix. I mean, how many of us for real have just like, you got something that's broke and you're going to, I'm going to duct tape it. I'm just going to, if I duct tape it enough, it will stay together for a little bit. And then you're really ticked off. Like, have you ever duct taped something so much and then it didn't work, but then you got to get the duct tape off? Well, good luck with that. You just created a bigger mess. And because that's what we do, right? We're in a sinful situation. And we think what I'll do to fix this sinful situation that I don't like is I'm just going to sin more. And then, oh, no, that didn't work. This is horrible. And then it's like trying to cut duct tape away. You can't. You've done left this nasty film over it, and you got a razor knife out, and you can't get it off. You're stuck in a mess because you didn't find hope in Jesus. But there is hope in him. Nothing else is going to last. John, though, He has a different reaction than us. He's absolutely devastated. He's weeping loudly. He's not just anxious about his sin, and I'm not belittling anyone who deals with anxiety. Please don't take it that way. I'm just saying, like, he's not just anxious about his sin or or the situation that, that is right here facing all of creation, that no one's worthy to open the scroll. He's not just kind of ho-hum about it, like, oh, well, I don't know. Hopefully someone comes along one of these days that can open it. He's not sad. He's not frustrated. He's not anything but absolutely wrecked. He is just wrecked to his core. He is weeping loudly because he understands the significance of this. If there is no Jesus who can come and open this scroll, there is no hope. Nothing else can happen. This is it. Like, if it doesn't get opened, we're all done. Like we're, there's nowhere else to go from here. And he's weeping so loudly. And so I want to ask you, like, is that how you see the situations that you have yourself in? 
Rather self-inflicted or someone else has put you in that situation or it's just the effects of the sinful world that we live in and the brokenness of sin has put you in a situation. Do you see him as your only hope or are you still clinging to something else thinking there's some other mechanism or way or, or direction I could take this that is worthy to fix this problem for me? So often we, we want to cling to something else and he is the only hope. We should weep loudly at our sins. Like, like Jeff said during the, the call to confession, yes, you can confess your sin, but do you repent of them? Like repenting isn't, I can confess it all day, but if I t- don't turn away from it and go away from my sin, it doesn't matter. Are we weeping loudly over the predicaments that we're in in our lives and looking to him as our only hope? Because when John sees him, oh man, He's like, there is someone worthy. And it's nothing I've ever seen seen before. Not like this. He is pumped because he now he knows like this guy, this this God, he can open the scroll. He can take care of it. The only one, the Lamb of God, the Lion of Judah. We find hope in that. We find hope in that. And that's our next point is all hope is found in the conquering of the lion lamb, Jesus Christ. I wanted to phrase it that way, the lion lamb of Jesus Christ, because he is not just some Jesus picture that you saw in, you know, the, the Baptist church you grew up in, or the Pentecostal church, like where he's got long flowing hair and real skinny collarbones, and he's all like frail. And you're like, man, that Jesus needs me on his team. He does not need you. He loves you and he will save you, but he does not need you. He is not weak. He is not frail. He is conquering. He is conquering. He is the lion of Judah. He is the lamb of God. I thought of, as I was writing this, I thought of uh, C.S. Lewis with the, um, I can't think of the dang, no, not screw tape letters. What's the one with the lion and all that? Thank you. Two sermons, at some point, my brain will go, go blank. But the little girl, she's asking the beaver, like, is he safe? And, the, and Mrs. Beaver said, of course he's not safe. He's a lion, but he's good. He's king. Like, this is who John sees. He sees this lion of Judah, and then he sees him as a lamb, slaughtered, as if he's slaughtered. So it, when you think about this, and you're like, okay, like, what did he see? Like, this is all imagery, okay? Like, I don't literally think you see, like, this him morphing from lion to lamb and all this. It's imagery to show how powerful he is and, and what he's done, his work on the cross, his work as our Messiah. But picture it with me. Like, he's as powerful as a lion. It says that he has seven horns. It's because it's showing he's perfect in his power. He has seven eyes. Because he's perfect in his wisdom and he's always present. He sees all things. He is everywhere. He is perfect. There's seven spirits. Well, the the Holy Spirit doesn't get left out of this. We'll talk about that more in a bit. But it's showing he's perfect in all things. He is complete. That is who he sees. This is a big God. He is almost a scary God, powerful like a lion. But he's also lowly, humble, compassionate, loving, and forbearing, and very personable to us. That's who he is. And all hope is found in him. All hope is found in him. But not just in who he is, but in his work that he's conquered. Because it says in the text that he is conquering, that he is there. It says that he saw, let me find my point. 
of the text. My bad. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out to all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. His conquering is why he can do that. No one else could do it. He's conquered death and sin, just as we sang about. He's done all that needed to do, and now he's going to step into that final stage, this bloodied and bruised and battered Jesus in victory, standing over sin, and he is worthy. He is worthy to come and to take that scroll. But the Lamb of God, like this is so cool when you think about it too, because this is a consummation of all prophecy and proclamations all through Scripture. Genesis 22, verse 8. Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went both of them together. Then in Exodus 12, 5 through 6, this is instructions to the Israelites for the Passover. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male, one year old. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats, and you shall keep it until the 14th day of this month. And when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight... Isaiah 53, 7, he was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that, it, that before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. John 1, 29, John the Baptist, this is what he experiences. Then next, the, the next day he saw Jesus coming. So John the Baptist saw him coming toward him and he said, behold the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. All these types, all these prophecies, all these proclamations are pointing to what we're seeing here. For when John is standing in heaven and there's no hope, there's no one who can open the scroll, that's who the scripture was talking about this whole time. That Jesus, that Lamb of God who sacrificed himself for us so he could open that scroll and then one day restore all things so we would reign with him forever. And as he's standing, because it shows his resurrection, He's not seated. He's not laying down. He is standing. So again, I'm going to ask you the same question I asked you earlier in my last point. Is, if this God, if this is who Jesus is, is he worthy enough, victorious enough over sin to fix whatever is going on in your life? Can he fix what is going on in our culture? Will he fix it? Yes, but do you believe it? Do you fully believe that? Have you taken that in and you know that in your inner being that he has got this? No matter the situation, no matter how bleak it may seem, he has figured it out. Because he stands slaughtered but victorious. So you didn't have to get slaughtered and lose. He stands in your place in everything. But over and over again, we want to choose sin to fix the situations that we get ourselves into. But we have to get past all that. We have to see that his conquering, his work has great implications for us and for all of mankind. That's our next point. The conquering work of the lion lamb, Jesus, has very particular implications for mankind. It says very, very specific implications for us. This does not just leave us in just some weird state of like wandering what's next 
in our lives, like wandering around, like, ooh, I wonder what I'm going to do today. There is a very particular thing that Jesus has done. The fact that he has conquered, and I say fact because it is not up for discussion. It is not a myth. It is not a possibility that he has conquered. There is historical proof by non-Christian historians that Jesus Christ died on a cross and was seen resurrected by over 500 people. And then there's people who wrote about that who have no belief in the God that we have belief in. So I say it's a fact that he conquered sin and death. It is a game changer for all of mankind and for all of history. And so why is it with these implications for us, here's why. When they start to talk, these elders are singing a new song, and they say, worthy are you to take the scroll and open its seals. For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed a people for God. So that's the first thing. By his blood, you've been ransomed. You are no longer sitting in the debt of sin. That's a very important thing. Otherwise, you're dead in your sin. You have no hope. You literally are destined for hell. Like, that is the path that you would be on, except that he ransomed you. He ransomed you for God. He ransomed you from your sin. There was a price on your head. That, the debt was too big that you could not pay, and yet he paid it for you, for me, for anyone who puts their faith in him. He's paid that price. So that's a huge implication for us. That matters that the conquering lion, lamb of Judah, Jesus Christ has done this. His conquering matters. Next, it's not that it says he ransomed you, but it says it, and by your blood you ransomed people for God. He ransomed you and bought you to be his people. We are not just our own. We're not, on our, we're not individuals just in the fact that we go about doing whatever we want. He ransomed us to be the bride of Christ. He ransomed us to be God's people together. We, we live in such an individual, individualistic culture that we're all about ourselves and, and making sure that we are known and that we are, are so unique in all that we do. But the reality is that God did not save you just to be you by yourself. He saved you so that you could be God, his people together. And, and that's part of the problem. We go through this life and the chaos that it brings, and we don't look to Jesus as the solution that is worthy. But then the problem is we also don't look to God's people as a solution. A lot of times we're like, well, I don't know what to do. I'm in this mess. I'm in this predicament, and I don't know how to get out of it. And you're like, God's not answering my prayer. But then if I would ask you, are you in a missional community? No. When's the last time you came to church? It's been months. When's the last time you talked to a Christian brother or sister about what's going on in your life? I don't really have anyone I'm close enough to talk to them about this kind of, I don't want to do that. Like, really, that's the answers that we get. And I'm like, you're missing out. You were ransomed to be a people, not a person. Yes, you, your salvation is individualistic. He saved you. He didn't, that doesn't save anyone else. But he did it so you could be part of his people. That's a huge implication. But the implications keep going on and on. It doesn't stop there. It says then that he is going to make them a kingdom and priest, and they shall reign on earth. There's three huge implications right there that he's made us a kingdom. We're not just some lowly citizens. We are part of the kingdom. We are part of the king's kingdom, the only kingdom that matters. We are part of that. And then he makes us into priests to our God. So we are in service to him. 
the God of all the universe that is holding all things together. We see that in, in Revelation 4.11. Like they all are created for him and existed through him, by him. We get to be in service to that God as priests to him and priests then to other people who are part of that kingdom. These are implications that we can't just walk away from. If we claim to be in Christ, this should dictate how we live our lives. It's not just randomness and just whatever, I'll go to church when I want and I'll do what I want as a Christian. There is a purpose behind what he did to ransom us. Because otherwise, we would just be hopeless, dead sinners searching for identity and belonging. That's really where we are. Without Christ, we are searching for identity and belonging. You see it every day in front of you. When you go to work, when you go to the gym, when you get on social media, you look at people and they all want to belong. They want there to be a purpose. They want to feel like they're part of something collective together. We all yearn for it on some level. And I saw that this week because there's this anger and sinfulness that comes with people who are apart from Christ because they can't process the things and these implications. And so these implications get in their way. I saw it really play out this week. And, and, and here's where I want to go with this. And I want you to see why this really matters. There in verse 9, it says that he ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. If you've been here long enough, you know that is the part of this text that I just absolutely love because I love missions and I love the idea of seeing people from every tribe, nation, and tongue before the throne of God worshiping. I don't want anyone to go without hearing the gospel and getting saved. But... If we are a kingdom of ransomed people for God and priest, then we have to understand that that does not just mean white America. Like, we have to get past that. And this week, I was really disappointed in people who claim to be Christians. I don't know if they are or they're not. I, I don't know. I can't, I don't know people's salvation. I'm not God. But Monday was... Monday wasn't Juneteenth. Last Sunday was Juneteenth, and they celebrated on Monday. And so banks were closed, and some post offices are closed or whatnot, whatever it worked out. I saw people posting on Facebook. They were so angry about it. I can't believe banks are closed. What is this bogus holiday? Blah, 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 blah. I had a lunch scheduled that day with a dear friend of mine, Mike Bird. Many of you guys in this room know Mike Bird. He's, he spoke here before. He did our marriage retreat two years ago. Um, he's a church planter over in North St. Louis, dear, dear friend of mine, one of my closest friends, he canceled lunch with me on Monday because his wife was off work and they wanted to be together for Juneteenth. So you think, well, what's the significance of that? Here's the significance of it. He ransomed a people from God, for God from every tribe, language, and people, and nation. And if my African-American brother, who I love dearly, says that day is important to him because it's the, the day that the last slaves were freed, then guess what? It's important to me. It's important to me. I don't have to understand it. I don't have to know everything about his culture to appreciate what he appreciates. But we have to understand that when we are saved, when we are made new because of this conquering Jesus, it is not just so we can fit it into our little box and make us feel good about ourselves. Like that's not it. There's implications here that it's every tribe, every language, every people, everyone. We're together. But then this week got even crazier, obviously. And if you don't know, then you don't watch the news. But the Supreme Court overturned Roe versus Wade, which is amazing. It has answers of decades of prayer. Like, I praise God. But people started losing their ever-living minds on social media. 
I mean, my wife is part of a uh, Facebook group for native plants. She likes plants. She likes plants. So we're in the car taking the boys to basketball last night, and she's like, you can't believe it. There's people on a native plant group complaining about abortion. Like, you know, like pro-abortion, not pro-life. And she's like, what is going on? Like, this is nuts. People are angry. They're mad. People who claim to be Christians. Again, I'm saying claim to be Christians on my, on my Facebook feed. Just going nuts about, I can't believe this is happening. And before I go even further, I want to say, if you're in this room and you've had an abortion, no, you are forgiven. God forgives you. There is no condemnation in Christ. Like he, he, it's wiped away. It's, your sin is not greater than someone else's sin. He takes away the guilt. He takes away the shame. He does all that. No, no one here is condemning you. But when we claim to be Christians and we see the implications of who we are worshiping and what he has done, and then we get, like, we're freaking out and angry, it's because we have no purpose. It's because we have no belonging. And we're so blinded then by Satan and what he's doing that we can't see clearly to get past this. But that's what happens when you're not a believer. You're, just, you're missing all that he's done. You have no hope in anything because you think, well, there's a situation where there's a, there's a woman who's pregnant and there's complications or it was because of this reason she got pregnant and it's not a good reason. And you think, well, there's no hope. There's just no hope. And so then the idea of someone taking what fake hope you have away from you just throws you into an absolute frustrated mess. But when we look at it, we don't look at it through the lens of a worldly hope. We look at it through the lens of this, of this book. And we're like, oh, I don't understand what God is doing. And I don't know how he's going to handle this. But he's a conquering lion lamb of, G- of Judah. He's got this. He's got this. No matter what it is, it doesn't have to be pro-choice or pro-life. It's anything. We, we lack hope if we don't look at this Jesus as conquering everything. And so there's this implications that just apply to all of our lives that if we miss it, we miss all of who Jesus is. And so what happens now, because hopefully we do get it, we do what we did at the beginning of service. We, we sing we praise him. We give glory to him. Not just for 30 minutes of songs, but through our whole life. We, that's what we do. And so that's our last point is this. Our last thing that should encourage us. God only shares his glory with himself. I believe the Trinity, personally, for my own personal life, to be one of the most fascinating things of all of theology, of doctrines of, of Christianity. Just the, the, the Trinity is so beautiful and intriguing because... It, I can't understand it. And I love to be in control and know everything. I hate not knowing stuff. Like, just, oh, never tell me you got a surprise for me because you're going to just jack with my head. And I'll be like, what is it? And I'll be asking people to know you and trying to figure it out. Like, hey, what are they up to? Like, I don't like surprises. I like to be in control. But this, for some reason, because you want to know why I think I like this? Because it makes God who he is. And if I could figure out everything about him, he's not worth worshiping. Like, it would just wouldn't even be a God, like, oh, big deal. I know everything about this guy. No. He purposely and perfectly displays himself in three persons. In three persons. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so what we have is, like I said in the beginning, the Father's sitting on the throne, and he's holding the scroll. No one's worthy to open it. But then here comes Jesus. He's not sharing his glory with an angel, not with one of those elders, 
Not these creatures with all the horns and eyes and face of a lion or eagle or none of that. He is sharing his glory with his son, with himself. How that works, that he reveals himself in three ways, I don't know. Blows my mind. I love it. But that's the only person that gets to share in the glory of God is himself. And why this should encourage us is this. If he's not worthy of all glory and all honor and all praise, like the scripture says, then he is not our savior. He can't be. He wouldn't be a perfect God. Because only a perfect God would be worthy of all that. That's it. There's no one else. So anything else is not worthy because there's sin or they are created by that God. And so we get to sit and rest in that that is the God who is worthy of all of our praise, all of our honor, and he is the one that has all a destiny planned out. But it's not just the Father and the Son. I said I'd get back to the Holy Spirit. Like They don't leave out the Holy Spirit as they're writing this because it says that he saw the Lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out until they all the earth. We know that Jesus said, I will send a helper. The helper he was talking about is the Holy Spirit who was sent out to all the earth, to all believers. They are perfectly sharing the glory with one another in this beautiful dance that we'll never understand, I guess, until eternity. And then I don't even know what we'll see or how we're going to see some form of what we're reading. And then hopefully our minds will be so transformed that we'll be like, I get it. This is so cool. Like, I get to be here for eternity now. But let's just show the glory that they get real quick as we wrap up. Eight through ten. These elders with a harp and golden bowls, they fall down and they're, and they're singing. So the first thing is they sing to his glory. Worthy are you to take the scroll and open its seals. For you were slain and by your blood you ransomed people. So they're singing this. They're not just reading it like I am. Like they're singing this. You don't want me to sing, so I'm not going to sing it. But they're singing. Like it's beautiful. I mean, I can just only imagine how beautiful it sounds that they're singing these words. And then in 11 and 12, they're proclaiming truth. They're speaking words of truth about God. Worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. You know what's cool about that right there is it says worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might. Those are things he already has. We can't give those to him. He has all that on his own because that is who he is. He is that God. The things we can get to them is we can honor him, we can glorify him, and we can bless him. So he's due all that because he's going to perfectly share the glory with the Father, the Son, and the Spirit as one God. And then verses 13 and 14, we see all creation worshiping him. All creation to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. So to the Father and to the Son. Be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four creatures, four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped him. Verse 13, I, I skipped it, says, And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under, the, and under the earth and in the sea saying all that. So he is worthy of worship from every single point of view. And so today, as we wrap up, I did, this is what I want you to, to think about is this is where we're heading. One day, who knows how long? Probably longer than what any of us would like. Because if it doesn't happen today, then I would think it'd be longer than you'd like. You'd love to see Jesus come back, right? I want you to be excited about seeing that Jesus. I want you to be encouraged about going to heaven to see that Jesus. I've, heard, I've had people say to me, and I don't mean this mean, um, but I've had people say to me, I just can't wait to get to heaven because I'm going to get to see blank. And they fill in, you know, with 
whatever family member. I want to promise you this. I busted some of your bubbles last week and told you that your dog won't be in heaven. (laughs) You're not going to get to heaven and be like, oh my gosh, it's my grandpa. Nope. You're going to be just blown away by this Jesus that we just read about. You'll see your grandpa if he is saved. You'll see all kinds of family members and friends if they were saved. And that would be wonderful. But we're, this is the Jesus, the, the Jesus this book tells us about. It's going to be amazing. It's going to be amazing. So I hope that you know this Jesus, that he died for you, and that he resurrected, he conquered sin and death for you. The Jesus that's in this book, no other Jesus that you've formed up in your head, this Jesus. So I'm going to pray for us, and we're going to take communion. And let's just rejoice in that. So I'm going to ask you to stand with me. Let me pray. God, help us to see you for who you are. Help us to block out every other thing, every other idea, every other thought we might have of who you are, God, and to see you completely as the conquering lamb who died in our place, who took away the sins of the world. God, I pray if there's anyone here who doesn't know you as that God, I pray, Lord, that they will, that you will, that you will move in their lives, that you will change their hearts, that you will save them. Lord, as we sometimes go through life and we start to lack hope because of all the different predicaments that we see in this culture and in our own personal lives, God, I pray that we will think back to this text, that we will see hope, that we will not weep loudly as John was because there was no one to open the scroll, but God, we will look to you who are, you are worthy. Father, I I pray that as we go out that we will be a people, that we will be a kingdom, and that we will be priests for your will, for your mission, to see you glorified through all creation. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We read this every week concerning communion. If you did not grab a communion cup, please feel free to grab one at either table there on the sides of the stage. This is 1 Corinthians chapter 11. It says this, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's proclaim his death.